Welcome to 90 and a little extra. My name is Adeyemi Adesoya. Uh, it's interesting times across the world of sports today. Um, COVID-19 is the big story on everybody's lips, on the airways. There's no station you turn to, whether sports or what have you. That is the uh, major story. Um, so as always, this is a podcast that is centered around sports business. And we will be looking today at the financial and economic impact of the coronavirus on sports. Um, I have a special guest joining me today. Um, it is a huge pleasure to have him, him on the podcast. Uh, I would say that when I was growing up, maybe when I was in secondary school, when I listened to f- commentaries from Eurosport or Sky Sports or what have you, when it's either Martin Tyler, Archie McPherson, Peter Jury, much later, the other guys I always used to look out for in terms of their voice, in terms of their input, in terms of their expertise used to be uh, Andres Lochran, uh, Jeremy Langdon, and most importantly, Tim Capo. Uh, thank you, Tim, for joining me today on 90 and a little extra. Yes, it's, it's good to be here. And uh, it, was, it was nice of you to... You remind me of all of those names of the people that we used to work with all those years ago. Oh, yes. <laughs> Jeremy, Jer- Jeremy Langdon will be uh, very happy. He's got a mention in there. So too will uh, Angus Lochran. Uh, I'm sure both of those two guys. And, of course, uh, the legend, uh, the legend that was Archie McPherson. Archie McPherson. Is Archie still with us? Archie is still very much with us. Uh, I I believe that he is in uh, he is in good health, and uh, yes, he is still very much around. Wow, wow. That, that, that that's one person I would really love to meet. Uh, I remember the stuff he did uh, comparing Ronaldo and Juan Cano in the mid nineties for Eurosport back then. Uh, it was always a joy listening to his commentaries, especially as Nigeria went on to win the Olympics in '96. Uh-huh, yes, very much. So that was my uh, uh, that was pretty much my first year uh, with with Eurosport that year. Oh, the very great. first um, the first tournament I did there wow. uh, was the the Toulon Festival. That was the one that we used to do every every, every summer. summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, the first game that I did was the Netherlands. I remember the Netherlands because at the time they had uh, they had this very young, exciting striker uh, by the name of uh, Roy Mackay. Hmm. Uh, you might remember him. Oh, Roy Mackay, Bayern, Bayern Munich, and uh, Deportivo La Coruña. Yes, absolutely. Fastest goal in the Champions League at some point, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, you, you've got a really good memory. It was actually uh, up until uh, up until a few years ago. But yes. yeah, that record stood for for quite a few years. Quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were good times. Those were good times. And of course, I have to say thank you again to you uh, for giving me the privilege to do the Afcon preview with you um, uh, last year. So uh, it was a great privilege doing that one with you as well. Well, we'll probably be doing another one. Hopefully, we may be uh, doing the tournament again, which, of course, is <laughs> <laughs> so on the position. No, I, I remember uh, having that conversation with you and asking you how Africa felt about moving their showpiece event uh, from the winter to the summer. I don't think it was 
success. Was it a success? I don't think it was uh, in, in the summer. Certainly not playing it where they played it in, in Egypt. Exactly. Um, you know, you, you the games that we did, we, we covered the entire tournament, uh, but you got very quickly to see that the 3 p.m. kickoffs, uh, that was over here, so the early afternoon kickoffs, had barely a goal in them. Uh, the evening <laughs> kickoffs had a few goals and a yes. bit of excitement. Yes. The only, the only, the games that were the most uh, dramatic that had the goals in the incident were always the the later evening kickoffs due to the the weather, weather and yes. the effects on the players. Yeah, you know, as you, I, I have my problems with this current uh, calf. Uh, executive committee or calf leadership as it's, as it's uh, constituted right now but well, I guess I'll dedicate uh, an episode of this podcast to them sometime so like I said at the start um, interesting times challenging times um, uh, football has I'm not sure maybe, maybe I'm too young maybe you can correct me I'm not sure football has experienced time, a time like this a time where nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows what the next step is. Nobody knows what the next phase is. I'm sure football has not experienced anything of this nature before. Well, certainly not in my lifetime. <laughs> and I think you can see, I was reading a piece of Daniel Levy yesterday saying that this is the biggest challenge uh, that he's ever um, had to deal with, and I think it's the same for pretty much every chairman of, of every club. Uh, not only in the in the Premier League, you tend to, to think of the big clubs, and the you know, but it, it will have more effect uh, this on the clubs in the Championship and the lower leagues in yes. the in the non-league. You know what you have to remember is that you know for the big clubs, the majority of the the revenue has come in via season tickets anyway. Yeah. So the impact for them is losing you know match day revenues from corporate customers, uh, from merchandising, stadium tours, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the bigger problems are for those who have maybe five percent of their tickets as sold as season tickets and who rely on sales in weeks and sales on match day because it's literally like turning off a tap. I mean, they have no cash flow and you will be expected to continue to pay players and staff, etc., to actually, you know, maintain. Uh, very interesting that you had to go in that direction. Um, if you look at the entire sports value chain, like you, you mentioned, uh, looking away from the players now, who are the core, all the athletes who are the core actors um, in the in the industry. We talk, if you're talking about the entire value chain, you're talking about the guys in the turnstiles, the guys providing security, the guys selling um, either beverages or snacks or whatever at the at the stadium, the guys selling, you know, uh, the guys in the mega store. Well, it's all gone. It's 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 all gone. Every everything has ended, hasn't it? Because there is, uh, there are no events, and yes. you know, it's important that um, 
you know, it, it, people realize it's not just football, obviously, it's every other industry uh, that goes with it. So, you know, everybody is in the same boat. But for those who are working on a maybe a zero hours contract or, or who are freelance, you know, all of a sudden they have no means of income. It's gone. It's crazy because I was looking through, I was reading, uh, the New York Times did a, a write-up and they were talking about the respective uh, major leagues in, in the US. The NBA as it stands earns $4.5 billion from TV rights alone. Now, that is a big issue because now they're not on TV. How do you compensate the right, rights owners? LeBron James earns about $400,000 for every game he plays for the Lakers. Now that tap is more or less uh, close. Although I think the NBA were a little bit also smart to include um, some form of uh, cap that the teams can deduct um, up to a little over 1% of the players' salaries for games that they miss. Um, I don't know if that is enough to even to cover the the, the, the losses that um, the teams will be making across board. We're even talking as far as the NCAA uh, college basketball had to stop match madness because of this, knowing that they themselves for last year made 1.1 billion dollars in revenue. So you're talking about an industry that's 160 billion dollars or thereabouts. Creating zero value. Uh, you're talking about American sports. I mean, I'm not really uh, an expert on American sport. What I what I will say on uh, on those things is that some of the clubs will have um, insurance policies, etc., in place, uh, which you know, which may be able to to cover some of the the shortfall. Uh, there may be terms included in some of the players' contracts, etc. However, I think the biggest change here will come after this event, uh, because um, as you move forward in the future, and you know, we don't know, there may be a return pandemic in a couple of years' time. I think from now on, uh, any contract negotiations, players' contract negotiations, anything to do with clubs, TV rights, all sorts of revenues like this, uh, they they will have um, terms inserted in their contracts, uh, which will um, which will be able to deal with things like this. So as clubs and players, you know, and staff aren't left hung out to dry, if you like. Um, so the other thing is better financial management. I mean, we've seen in the past uh, details of club accounts where, you know, 99% of everything goes on players' wages and salaries. And, you know, I think that will change in time as well because, you know, financially, it's simply, it's, it's bad management, isn't it? You know, um, few clubs carry uh, large cash reserves. Um, everything is based on picking up their television revenues, etc. cetera. Uh, so I think that's going to change as well. I think there will need to be better systems in place uh, as far as clubs are concerned uh, to make sure that if this system arises again in the future, uh, they actually have a fail safe, if you like. 
yeah while, while that is true um this also kind of takes us to like the emilia sava uh incident where he signed the contract went to say goodbye to his former club and then dies gets into a plane crash so we're, we're in the situation where contracts will now are taking there's a bit of an evolution in the contracts that will be signed going forward in the sport so whilst players are signing contracts, their clauses will be, will be saying, hey, on, until you play your first match, we can't play, pay part of the instrumental payment. Or if we have a global catastrophe like this or a pandemic, um, you, your contract ceases to exist for X period that that pandemic exists. So I think we're getting to a point where lawyers will start becoming more and more creative. As, as like you said, it also will probably lead to pro- better football finance management. Yeah, I think you're you're, you're spot on. I think just going back to that, um, you know, the American sports. I think the the NHL they said was very uh, familiar how to manage uh, these things because they've had lockouts, <laughs> lots of lockouts uh, in the past before. They've they've lost entire seasons, yeah, um, and reduced seasons in terms of numbers of games played. So you know, uh, it's not until you experience something like this maybe that you know how to act going forward. So I, I, if I were to ask, like for instance, just, just one, but just one thing on that that thing as far as the um, the NHL in the, in the states was concerned, uh, during those lockdowns and lockouts, they didn't have to pay any of their players. Hmm. So there, there, there was a big, big difference there. Unlike in football now, that it's not a dispute. The NHL lockouts, there were disputes, uh, collective yeah. bargaining disputes labor disputes this is a pandemic so it's a completely different so the guys have their legs up in their in their living rooms and on thursday the the, the phone still beeps with the with a credit alert that they've been paid so um, that the okay. difference in this case with the nhl is it was a labor dispute uh collective bargaining uh dispute between the league and representatives of the players the difference here is the pandemic. So the players in the Premier League, in the Bundesliga, and Syria have their legs up in the living room, but still the credit alert for their wages will still be paid. Oh yeah, of course. Um, although it's interesting because we had uh, we had one situation where we've seen a club in Scotland, uh, Hearts. I don't know whether you saw this. Uh, who yesterday have uh, asked uh, their players, etc., to take a fifty percent uh, pay whoa, cut, whoa. and they're and they're they're saying now uh, that their request for players and staff to take this fifty percent wage cut could lead to a domino effect, not only in in Scottish football but uh, elsewhere. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, but their their owner is somebody called Anne Budge, um, and she's basically asked told everybody to uh, to get behind the idea to safeguard the the future uh, of the club. Can can we involve the government in this? And, and I'm and I'm looking at this from this perspective. Can the government create a form of cushion cushion effect for the clubs? But then we also understand that the government itself is losing revenue. 
because with the with the standoff with the inability of sports to continue they can't earn revenue in terms of taxes in, and what have you but can the government still come in and create some form of subsidy or some form of palliative for the clubs for the for sports to still be able to uh, meet its obligation it's not in in this particular time uh, everything's on the table i mean there was a meeting with the bank of england the other day where they were the uh, head of the bank of england was talking about uh, what tools they had in their box and he just said listen everything is uh, in the box you know even down to whether we print money to literally give to people uh, everything is uh, is available everything is up for discussion so yeah i don't think you discount or uh, leave any anything out at the moment, anything that um, it can be discussed, will be discussed. So do you think that uh, Manchester United and Juventus can decide to tell their players to take a 50% cut? What will FIFA Pro's reaction be like? Well, I don't think it'd be very positive to you. I mean, <laughs> but then again, I don't think there'll be too many people losing any sleep or crying too many tears if Ronaldo had to go, you know, a week without his salary or Gareth Bale had to uh, cope on just, I don't know, a quarter of a million a week instead Ooh. of whatever he's on, a half a million. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think it's about time FIFA made a bit of a pronouncement. Um with respect to the situation that we're in because also you need to consider that the certain players with their contracts expire on the 30th of june and somewhere well, i think uh, yeah they've already talked about that and there's there's thought that if the if the league season is going to extend by a month uh, then they will effectively extend the contracts of the players uh, for a month uh, i mean as we stand at the moment i think um the Premier League has decided uh, via meeting today that English football uh, will be off until April the 30th, the season extended uh, indefinitely. They desperately want to con uh, conclude this season. Um, and I'm sure that they will um, they will succeed uh, in doing it. Okay, so if, I, if I'm a player and I, my contract expires on the 30th of June, I could tell the club, look, I've signed a pre-contract, I'm leaving on the 1st of July. Am I, would I be held culpable? Oh, God, I've, I have no idea. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, you know, you know... You're in touch with my legal department. I, I don't know. But I think uh, these are such uh, remarkable circumstances. That, yeah. That I, I don't see how there would be a problem with this. Wow. You know, because I'm just like, you know, there are certain players who will be like, look, I've been at this club, I'm tired, I, I just want to go. I can't stand this club anymore, it's time for me to leave, you know? So that way, you're just like waiting for the 30th of June to come, so you just pack your bags and you'll be expecting what is happening. But, like I said at the start, it is interesting times. Um, I was looking at at, at the figures for some of the big teams in Europe. And I'm looking at, a, if we're looking at England, Manchester United, I think last year, made 120 million euros from match day alone. So now United probably have about four, 
if you add um, the FA Cup and Europa League, we have about six to eight games more to play at home. So imagine how much they will be losing from ticket sales, match day sales, uh, the creative match experience, and all that. That's, that's, that's even, you know, not looking at um, um, merchandising, the commercials, and what have you. What, what would you say is the practical solution to getting out of this situation? Some have said, let's cancel the season. Then, because Rafa came out yesterday and said, look, you can't award someone the title without the league being completed. So would you say, let's cancel the season or let's just wait it out and ensure that we finish no, up? No, 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 no. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, there are oh. too many implications. Uh, for, and obviously, I'm guessing you as a Manchester United fan <laughs> would, you, would just like the season cancelled so Liverpool didn't win the title. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, well, well. There is, there is a method to your question. No, they have to. If, if it is feasible to do so, then they must uh, conclude this, uh, this Premier League season, this Championship season and Football League season. And I think they will do everything within their power to do so. There is no European football championships, uh, which has freed up the summer. Uh, there are other issues here, uh, by the way. They may well run the season over into um, June uh, yeah. in order to get all of the, the games in, uh, mid-June to late June. But then what you also have as the time goes on are all of these very, very lucrative uh, yeah. pre-season tournaments, uh, which uh, produce huge amounts of money. I'm thinking in particular of the, the uh, International Champions Cup, uh, which doesn't make any money for for the people that run it um and there was the situation with real madrid and barcelona were in discussions about having this uh, pre-season classico uh, being played in the new stadium just outside uh, las vegas that was going to be a major major event i you know i think that you know travel bans may still be in place you may be able to get the uh, season finished uh, in your own leagues, in your own country, but you may not be allowed to travel. Uh, the Champions League is, of course, still destined to be played. The um, semi-finals and the, the finals still to be played, quarterfinals, semi-finals and finals. Um, but it is in everybody's interest in terms of the clubs that they get the season over and done with and titles of one relegation and promotions sorted out. And uh, they, they will do all they can to make sure that happens. So let's say we get to June, right? And we still can't see light at the end of the tunnel, right? To complete the season. What happens? I, don't, I, don't, I think you think I'm a magician. <laughs> no, because I'm of the well, opinion. I'm Harry Potter. I'm, no, of because... the, I'm of the opinion that if by June 30th, Nothing changes, nothing happens. I think um, we should just look at what, what we finished with last season and just go with that. And then probably have the, um, maybe just run a playoff schedule for the guys in the championship 
right? And promote two guys from the championship. Right. I think that we could sit here all day and talk about ifs and buts. What is it? Ifs and buts are candy and nuts every day be Christmas. <laughs> I, you know, it's um, uh, until until it is impossible uh, to actually play and impossible to finish, then there's little point in talking about it at this uh, at this moment. Uh, I think the the situation may look a lot clearer uh, come the end of April, the beginning of May, as summer rolls around in uh, Europe. Hopefully, we will have seen the peak of the the pandemic and will be on the downward curve. But in, in, until that time comes, I think it's it's pointless even thinking about it. You know. About- I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, people have talked about, look, if the season rolls on on the play, because we have to think about it. If the players carry on into June and July and you start the league again in August, uh, because you're going to have to get everything in to finish it for the European yeah. Championships which takes place next summer. And then, you know, you, you've got the Nations League, you've yeah. got international friendlies, and then after the European Championships, yeah, the, the countdown Cup. is on for the World Cup because you know no, n- nobody's given a kickoff date for the World and Cup. And that is November. And that is November. November, December. Yeah. Uh, so you know when is that season? That season's going to be pushed back as well. So it's going to be two years, two and a half years before you get everything back to uh, back to normality. I think you know the possibility for things like the the League Cup maybe to be suspended uh, for a season. Mm. Is certainly something that's, that's up there, but then again, you have to think about the, uh, the not the teams in the Premier League. You have to think about the teams in yeah. the Championship in the Football League, who again, you know, generate important income uh, from these competitions. You know, getting a big draw against a Premier League club fills a stadium. You know, so they will no doubt be against that but i'm sure that is going to be something else that is on the table and discussed i'm not sure carabao would be happy about scrapping or suspending the league cup for a season because of the amount of money that was they are pumping to it uh, like you mentioned yes the clubs were also, the lower league clubs would probably not like it i'm sure someone like it seemed like liverpool would like it because hey they don't even want to play the, the League Cup anyway. But you are in the heartbeat of everything. Uh, how are the fans reacting to this? Because, okay, I am here in Nigeria and last weekend was awkward for me. Awkward in the sense that I finished with my football in the morning. I came home. Normally, when I switch on, switch on the TV at noon, it's football till 9, 10 p.m. So I'm here and I'm looking at the TV and it's my kids with their cartoon on and I'm just looking at them like, what's going on here? So how, the, the match-going fans in England, how are they taking it? <laughs> uh, with a degree of humour, I, I think. Um, there are a lot of supporters... Uh, posting things on Instagram, 
uh, <laughs> that I couldn't possibly even come close <laughs> to describing. Uh, the fact that uh, you literally, you know, people, it's not only football, you can't go anywhere. anywhere. Uh, so, it, you know, it's sort of, you know, for some it's a reintrodu reintroduction to the family unit. You know, you can't <laughs> go out to the bar at a pub to have a, a, a pint or a beer. You can't go to the restaurant. You can't go to the cinema. You can't go anywhere. You know, so you're at home with your wife and your children. <laughs> oh, and all of the joy that this brings. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's difficult times for, for everybody, but, you know, you're at home with your family and they're the people that you should care most about. Yeah, but uh, it's odd. Let's be honest. I'd say, you know, the place that, that is perfectly positioned to do something here, and I, I'm amazed uh, that we haven't seen it already, is eSport. Yeah, because oh, yeah, most, you know. of, <laughs> most of this can be taken place digitally. You know, yeah. um, I'm surprised some enterprising channel uh, hasn't come up with some eSport idea because the, the spike in internet usage has been huge. Uh, the online, the, the gaming companies that, of course, you don't actually buy discs anymore. You download all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, playing online with you. I mean, the uh, the spike in usage on these uh, platforms has been incredible. Yeah, people are at home all day. Um, you know, so you know, playing your your whatever your pre your, your pro evolution soccer or your your FIFA twenty, <laughs> whatever it is. You know, that, that's the funny thing. Like today, I um, I went on Bet365 and I saw that they were streaming eSports, which is unusual. They don't stream eSports, but they had to do something. They had to fill in. Well, the, 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 online, the, uh, the online, gather, the gambling companies have been doing it for many, many years. Uh, in terms of uh, virtual horse racing, virtual yeah. uh, dog racing, you know, having some, you know, something for, for punters to to gamble on. Yeah, but whether you like it or not, they will take a huge hit this period because it's not like betting on actual outcomes. Yeah, well, you, 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 you think about it. How many people have woken up on a Monday morning richer than they would have been the previous week, having <laughs> not been in a position where they can gamble any of their money. Um, and yeah, you're talking about companies that will have a hit. You know, somebody might get used to that, waking up to the fact that, listen, instead of me getting up on a Monday morning and finding out that I haven't got, yeah, £10 to go through the week on because I've blown £100 on, on yeah, gambling on football over the weekend, uh, then, you know, then they might have a light bulb moment there. Wow. <laughs> and that changes another thing because even in the, in the process over the last one week, you had people, more people, coming to bet on Nigerian League football. I saw on Twitter a lot of uh, punters, tipsters, you know, talking about Nigerian football, okay, Nigerian league is still on, let's put some money in it. And I'm like, wow. Now, all of a sudden, Nigerian league gets suspended. And then the guys, even the, the, the bookies here are also complaining because 
the usual customers that they get, there's a huge downside. So while we're talking about football and sports losing money globally, the bookies themselves are losing money. And it's a great idea you mentioned that, you know, somebody should look at, you know, giving quality airtime to esports. Yeah, I, I've, you know, I think it's absolutely right. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure uh, somebody will look at that because they, they are perfectly placed uh, to take, uh, to take advantage there. Um, I mean, I, I do have a quick look around every day to see if there's any uh, football on uh, anywhere in particular, um, and um, uh, there are still places where there's football being played. There's football being played in Mexico uh, for a yeah. start. Brazil, uh, yeah, in in Costa in Costa Rica, in Belarusian uh, Argentina, today. yeah, and so you know, I mean, I'm amazed. We, I'm amazed nobody is showing any of that football uh, over, the, over in the UK. They don't have the rights. They can't get into a negotiation right now. Yeah, listen. I think that I, th- I think if somebody came knocking on their door, they'd be uh, uh, with a chance of selling <laughs> the rights <laughs> to a few games for a few weeks. And, uh, they would be very also, receptive. Also, you need to know that, like in Brazil, I think the guys from uh, Santos or was it Sao Paulo held a protest last week before their game, wearing face masks, asking for the games to be postponed uh, because of the coronavirus. And then I think in Argentina. Most of the games are being played behind closed doors. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not sure yeah. any, any broadcaster will want to put money in that. But the games are going on in Turkey, um, which also led to uh, our own Mikel contract being uh, cancelled because he, he raised concerns about playing under these circumstances. And um, uh, But the, I think the club didn't like it. And uh, it, it's interesting that you have one player raise a voice about the circumstances and then the club takes an action takes action against him by cancelling his contract because he says he's not comfortable to play in this circumstance yeah yeah um it's funny actually i was just uh, i was looking before you came on actually the the nigerian league and uh, and I know you said the the fact that all of a sudden uh, people are beginning to, to, to stream Nigerian league games and they're betting on them. I mean, it's the thought of somebody uh, trying to work out whether you know the Lobi Stars are going to get a home win or whether <laughs> any Imba are any good away from home. You know, I mean, we cover many of these teams uh, down the years, uh, of yeah. course. By the way, in the uh, in the African Champions Absolutely. League, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, well, the Nigerian League is not on TV uh, for whatever genius reason that is. It's not on TV, but the league. I think this season is a, is a I think it's a bit of a watershed moment for the league because, interestingly, I think we've had more away wins this season in the last than in the last five years. Eimba went away last last yesterday and won handsomely away from home. Although they played the worst, probably the worst team in the league, because that team has the worst home record. Uh Stars won, Play Two United won, uh, Rivers United won at home. Rangers went away to win, which was a bit of a surprise because they played a team who have also been, you know, just at least strong at home. 
um, who else? Sunshine lost at home. Katsina United won their first game away from home in, I think, in the last in four or five years. So it, it was it was interesting for Nigeria and I'm saying for us to be in the spotlight for 24 to uh, about 72 hours. But that's gone away now because, hey, it's Belarus, it's Brazil, it's Argentina, it's Haiti, it's Nicaragua. Those are the places where games um, are going on. Let me, let me ask you, Tim, so what have you been doing with your, with your Saturdays? And your Sunday, with your weekends. What have you been doing? Well, it was maybe Saturday, I, maybe Sunday, I can steal Tuesday. Some ideas. <laughs> what have I been doing? Uh, not, not, not a great deal, actually. Well, we do produce um, a range of uh, podcast material, um, which is still going on because uh, they're done from a, a, a studio which is based at home. Um, and um, that apart. Um, no, I mean, pretty much what everybody else is doing, uh, trying to stay fit and healthy, uh, really, and just um, keeping out the way of everything, uh, watching reruns of Premier Premier League Golden Years, boxing's greatest fights. Yeah, there's always something to watch. It's sad. It's sad. It's, it's a tough time. You know, I, I I also almost lost lost. Uh, I almost did hear that Roger um, Roger also passed. You know that 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 kind of slipped under the radar. Wait, sorry, who was that? Roger Mayweather. Roger Mayweather, yes, indeed, he did, didn't he? Um, uh, in the last few days, yeah. Uh, and I think Floyd has been. Um, yeah, he's been he's he's been talking about it. his uncle and his uh, his his trainer. Uh, I mean, and he was only what fifty eight yeah. uh, years of age, um, and I mean, he was he was pivotal in in his career, uh, helping him to become one of well, obviously one of the greatest uh, yeah. boxers in in history over that fifty fight um, uh, unbeaten you know career. I think he died he died about a week ago, didn't he? Yeah. And he slipped almost under the radar. I just saw it on BBC. I was like, ah, this guy's dead. And it just seemed like, you know, nobody, you know, the coronavirus thing just seems to envelope everything. On my radio show that I do in the mornings, three quarters of what we talk about is the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. People forget about Roger, by the way, and they always tend to focus on, oh, you know, he was training uh, Floyd and, and everything else. But yeah, Roger was, was, was a world, yeah, he's a world world champion, a featherweight Who's and welterweight world, world champion, yeah, in the 1980s. And probably one of the strongest proponents of the shorter role. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very yeah, sad. Tragically but... young. Tragically young. Yeah, tragically young. Tragically young. So... I think what you're telling me now is I should focus more on recording more podcast episodes as my way of getting around this uh, lack Gordon. of or this football hiatus that we're on. Well, I, I do recommend that you go and buy a championship manager. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, I, uh, because is it championship? Are you a championship manager guy? Uh, or Premier League, Premier manager? League manager. Uh, football manager, whatever it was, because this <laughs> this has the uh, capability to keep you occupied for oh, the yeah, rest I've, of your. I've, I've played that game. I've been playing that game since 1998. 
<laughs> a fabulous game. Fabulous, oh, yeah, fabulous game, game ever. Oh, it's a brilliant game. We used to use, when I, when I used to play that years ago, I haven't played it for a long time. Uh, but what was what was great about that was the fact that when we used to do all of these uh, European football games from obscure leagues and youth tournaments, etc., and we used to, and obviously the the great show Eurogoals where we would cover all of the European leagues, we got to know all of these players, and we, you'd come back home and uh, you'd buy them for your championship ah. manager. You, 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 exactly what I used to do. Exactly. The, only was, the people that actually put the game together had less knowledge than you did. So if you were buying a player who, who based on his current level of performance, uh, looked like a fantastic prospect, he would still only be a squad player on Championship Manager. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, until true. the following season. True, that, and uh, there's, but, some, but, there's some really yeah. good names, even though in the game, they were really good. They had a huge prospects in the game, but in real life, they didn't hit the high. Harry Harry, uh, Henry Saibé is one of such. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you ought to do, you ought to do an African version uh, of that. You know, to get people, so people know more about you know, the African players. That's a, that's know, a there, idea. There are no, um, there are no African football, yeah. African yeah, gets aired. African football gets aired to the rest of the world once yes. every two to four years, World Cup or an Afcon uh, Championship. Uh, in between that, nobody does anything. I used to do. I used to work on a, a weekly or fortnightly program uh, a few years back called Football Afrique. Yeah, and we used to, and that. we used to do a roundup of uh, uh, football in Ghana, football in Nigeria, football in South Africa, football in Namibia. Uh, we, we'd be everywhere. We'd, we'd cover event. we'd cover the Kosovo Cup, which was uh, another tournament that nobody knew anything about. Um, you know, but it, it's a shame really, because the, the, there was some really good football uh, that we used to cover in in Africa. And it was a great, um, uh, it was a great showcase as well for the, uh, the players and the clubs to actually get airtime in Europe and in this country, you know, on champ African Champions League uh, as well when we used to do those live. Uh, but they've all faded away because everybody concentrates on the, uh, you know, the primary leagues. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that uh, that only. It's ironic that you 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 say this and you give so much plaudits to the African game, whilst those many of us here, many observers of African football here, have a bit of uh, uh, an inferiority complex towards the African game, and are more concerned or their eyes are uh, strictly on the European games. Okay, for me. I go to, I watch league games in Nigeria, at least the ones that are played in Lagos with MFM. Every other weekend, I I try to go to the stadium to watch. And when we talk about some of these local base players, we get people say, ah, they're not good enough. Ah, they're just, and because our people here themselves don't help the situation, the administrators themselves don't help the situation by pushing and branding the league in a way, in a way that... Um, it's part and parcel of the development of the game overall to the top to the to the top tier, which is our super eagles. But there's a bit of a strong towards it, you know, it's seen as being inferior and you know, 
it, it, it leaves a bit of a shortest when I hear people put down uh, African football. Just just look at the campaign that we've had this year in the CAF Champions League with Tipi Mazebe, with uh, Babalodi Sundown, with Alani, with the way Zamalek, you know, defeated Hanley in, in, uh, uh, won the Super Cup. You know, so it's great when I hear guys like you who are in Europe speak well of African football, who follow African football, who dedicated their time to African football. We here, we don't see it that way. It's, it's either European football or nothing else. Yeah, easy come, easy go. That, that, that's why. I mean, they know there's a guaranteed audience if you put Liverpool <laughs> against Manchester United on on a on a Sunday uh, Sunday afternoon. But you know, I I saw some great games from, uh, involving some great clubs in in that uh, in the CAF uh, Champions League. Sometimes, you know, the the organisation left uh, a little bit to be desired. <laughs> Sometimes the you know the you know the venues weren't great. But we, you know, when you were looking at the the, the top teams, yeah, we uh, we had some fantastic moments. Uh, you know, covering everybody from teams uh, like for like Enyimba, from Al Akli, from Zamalek, from uh, ES in Tunis, or Raja in Casablanca. Who I think when I first started doing that, Rude Kroll was the was the coach was the there, coach, the yeah. legendary Dutch player. You know, but all of these names like Hearts of Oak, Etoile, Ismaili, the Orlando Pirates. Yeah, big big games we saw. I mean, I, I've done that uh, Egyptian derby game, Al Akli and Zamalek. Oh, on occasions I've, I've lost count um, but it's a tremendous occasion they don't you know but it, it takes something they have to realize the potential of what you actually have on your home territory your home ground yeah. you know and promote from there and you know it all starts as we know with with grassroots putting it into youth and the development of youth into you know a stronger uh, national structure and league structure and so on and so forth and it, it just builds it's like building blocks you know um I mean, it's ridiculous that we don't see the African Champions League, really, uh, quite honestly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, obviously the television schedule is very crowded, yeah. uh, but you could, still, you could still see the semi-finals, quarter-finals, semi-finals, um, and the finals, you know. Well, you know what? Uh, Africa is switching to a one-legged final from this year. <laughs> I think that was good after what happened in the last final. Yeah, they should have changed a long time ago. I do understand the issues relating to being able to sell out the game because what's the point of having a final in an empty stadium? We know we have that problem in Africa. There are not so many countries that can actually bankroll uh, a final like that that will have a full stadium. But some countries have shown us that they're able to block the trend. Uh, Tanzania won with Simba sending out 60,000 a 60,000 stadium in the CAF uh, Confederations Cup and the CAF Champions League. TV Mazembe do it, Alali do it. The guys in North Africa are consistent, you know, in Senators, even though they have stadium restrictions, you know, in those countries. So, uh, but I think it's about time that we decided to do it. Um, you spoke about grassroots. It continues to be an area that I keep talking about. In Nigeria, it's unfortunate to do. Right, we used to cover... Uh, in in days gone by, and for, for 20 years, we used to cover all of the uh, FIFA youth tournaments. Uh, and sometimes we would do the South American youth tournaments and the African youth tournaments. Yeah. And, you know, the 
the quality of some of the football was was outstanding and the the african the african teams were always uh, of um, a relatively high standard you've only got to look at um, their performances in the under the fifa under 17 and the fifa under 20 world cups uh, i mean i know england have done well in uh, recent times uh, although not the last ones but uh, you know to see some of the talent that is in those teams and if you go back and you look at yeah a, a Nigerian team that made the semi-final you know 10 12 years ago and see how many of those players went on to do anything you find that the three quarters of them have gone nowhere yeah uh, and yeah. did anything never never turned into full-time football players and yeah, that's that's a shame, you know, because they miss out on um, on talent. But you know, we 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 did say about the organisation sometimes. I mean, what happened in that um, 2018, 2019 um, African Champions uh, Cup final? You know, uh, de Tunis winning and the. Uh, you know the the whole thing with the with the game being abandoned because uh, the VAR was there, then it wasn't there. It was there. Who was on it? Nobody. Knew. To have situations like that, that doesn't do the reputation of the countries involved any good whatsoever. Uh, there's no reason why that should ever have happened like that. Not in the showpiece event of the continent for club football. Such an embarrassing, embarrassing moment. Embarrassing moment. Uh, but like you said, the quality of teams Africa puts out. But you know, a lot of people also tell you that uh, we have a big problem with cheating, um, and it is yeah. the reason why, like you said, three quarters of them don't make it on to the next uh, the next stage. And I think also one of the problems why you don't have to call them making on to the next stage is a bulk or number of quite a lot of them when they play those age break competitions just want to go to Europe instead of coming back and trying to build a career if you're able to go to your build a career career locally and see how that translates into probably getting the deal abroad but most of them once they play that competition their focus is Europe I can give you an example uh, there's the, the, the captain of the last Nigerian team that won at the 17 level uh, Wakali, he's he's in limbo. He went to Arsenal, left Arsenal, went to Porto B. He's at Recreativo uh, Elva in uh, in Spain now, and I'm not sure he's played a game this season. So that is the major problem because we also refuse to grow the game domestically. Those young guys, once they go for the 17 or the 21, they don't want to come back to play locally. Yeah, I, I I get it. I totally understand that. Um, I mean, if you look at the record in in recent times, uh, Nigeria they made the final, didn't they? We were doing this. I remember this. Uh, Two thousand and five, uh, they were in the final. They were in the under twenty uh, World Cup final against yeah. Argentina. Messi's Argentina. Uh, yeah, Messi Messi scored uh, two of the goals, didn't Penalties. he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you go, you know, you go back, um, and you know, you look at the squads of players. Uh, that played then, yeah, and what, what happened to that? I mean, they were incredibly lucky at that. I mean, I'm um, sorry, Argentina had 
had a, a sensational team. Sergio Aguero, uh, yeah. you know, Messi from Zabaleta was there. Uh, Paletta was there. I mean, yeah. it really was. It, was a good it, it really something else. Uh, but, you know, I mean, just go back and look at some of the names of the Nigerian players that were there, right, and see what happened to them and where they where they went. Well, the one, know, of, and, one of the people, the captain of that team, we mentioned him. Uh, oh, uh, the captain of that team actually passed on. Passed on recently. Um, Isaac Promise. Um, Isaac Promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was captain of that team. John B. Mikel was in that team. Uh, man, we just spoke about him not too long ago. Taek Chao was actually, in that he, team. Yeah. He, he, was, he was number three. He was third in the media players. He had a heart attack, didn't he? Um, he had a heart attack, didn't he? I was at promise. I remember it about, yeah, yeah. about a year ago, September, October of yeah. uh, of last year. Of last year, um, yeah. and he was what? Yeah, he was what? What was he? 30, 30 years of age. He yeah, was, about 30, he was 31, 32. Very <sighs> yeah, yeah. yeah, And then uh, you have uh, Obuke. Obuke was in that team uh, that played at Schalke. It was also in that team. We, we had some really good. In fact, the the funniest thing is the goalkeeper of that sport, Vezekin. 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 He was supposed, as far as the lot of Nigerians were concerned, after Eyama would leave the scene, because Eyama was just like in his third year in the Super Eagles. He was the one everybody felt <clears throat> was good enough to take over, but. After he came back, I think he signed for Yimba, and that was it. He couldn't even make the grade at Yimba. He just yeah, disappeared. A few of them, they were part of the uh, the Olympic team as well in the. Oh yeah, uh, in 2008. In the Beijing. And then yeah, we lost to Messi again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and then we lost to Messi again. Uh, 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 it was Maria uh, that scored the winning goal. Yeah, yeah, Di Maria. I remember that as well. Wow. But they, you know, you you, you look at the um, you look at the performance in in recent years. Move on from the under 70s into that under 20s since they got to the uh, final in 2005. It was in in Netherlands when they lost to Argentina. Yeah. Uh, since then, there hasn't been um, uh, there hasn't been. Any Nigeria, yeah, yeah. Ghana did it, didn't they? They beat it yeah. was uh, all three. They beat Brazil on penalty kicks. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they've had a few successes. I mean, Senegal had a decent team uh, oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. Mali had a Mali, decent team. Mali had a decent yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. They very nearly made the uh, the final a uh, few years ago. That was about five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the last couple of occasions, it's you know, uh, it's. Not you know the interesting thing about the Ghanaian team that won that competition in Egypt, I think they had about five or six of them at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Uh, oh, the 2010 World Cup, yeah, yeah, because yeah, it was the year after, wasn't it? Yeah, there are about five or six of them at that World Cup, but then afterwards, well. <laughs> Well, yeah, probably the uh, Ayo brothers are the only ones there. Well, they were they were always the team that was, everybody picked them. Uh, everybody thought that if there was uh, an African team going to do it, then then it was it was going to be Ghana. 
Um, and uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, Andre Ayew, I think he was there, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, he was there uh, with Jordan. Uh, Jordan uh, was, yeah, there was this other guy uh, that signed for AC Milan. His name, I can't remember his name now. Ah, signed for Milan. Who is that then? I can't, I can't remember his name, but his name starts with A. I think I... Uh, Ajiman Badu. No, Ajiman Badu was uh, Udinese. Yeah, he, he did get But there was Caesar a striker was that signed for Milan, but he also disappeared after a while. Um, yeah, no, I can't remember who that is. I can't remember his name right now, but I know his name starts with A. Listen, I'm, I'm getting to an age where I can't remember anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Uh, it's always nice to, you know, do this reminiscing because for me, listening to guys like you made me want to do uh, do this job, do this business. And uh, it's always a pleasure when I get to talk to you, to learn from you. And um, it's a huge pleasure that you took my uh, invite for us to discuss the issues in football as we are today. And I have to say big, big thank you, Tim, for joining me on Night Channel Into Extra. It's uh, my pleasure anytime. Thank you very much. And please, please, if, you're a, if you ever get to talk to Archie McPherson, please let him know <laughs> that he has... Big, big fan in Nigeria that would one day, hopefully, love to see him in the next few years to meet him personally. If I ever bump into him again, I'll pass on the message. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me, team. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. Um, we'll get this done and uh, it should be up by Monday. On, on uh, I'll post it and I'll share the link with you on Monday. No problem. No problem. Look forward to it. All right. So thank you for joining me. This has been night and a little extra. I've had Tim Capel with me as we spoke about uh, the financial, economic, and economic impact of the coronavirus on sports. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at yemitm442 or follow the podcast on Twitter at 90 and extra. And of course, you can follow Tim Capel at Tim Capel on Twitter. Uh, thank you for joining me. Have a lovely day.